Welcome to Ormwood Church in Atlanta, Georgia, and to our podcast where we share our Sunday sermons for those in Ormwood Park, Atlanta, and beyond. Our mission is to welcome everyone to explore the living God in all of our neighborhoods, and we value welcoming others, opening our minds, being of service, and participating in whatever ways God calls us. We hope you learn, grow, and find a place to belong with us. Welcome to the first week of Advent, and we're starting this week um, with a classic Advent text from Matthew chapter 24, verses 36 through 44. Listen now for a word from God. But about that day and hour, no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. For as the days of Noah were, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing until the flood came and swept them all away. So too will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two will be in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding meal together. One will be taken and one will be left. Keep awake, therefore, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So I have had a hard time writing the sermon this week. Now, this passage is part of Jesus's final sermon in the Gospel of Matthew before his death and resurrection. And I have been dragging my feet, partly because this week is a bit chaotic. You know, kids are home for break. Chris is out of town. The work week's cut a bit short. But I also just don't particularly enjoy texts, even at this time of year, that have the holiday theme, you better watch out, you better not cry, Santa Claus or Jesus is coming to town, right? like surveillance and threats, startling disappearances, there's a distinct lack of grace involved in telling people to stay up and be good and act ready until God makes another appearance. And to be honest, hearing this passage as a person who feels like they've had to be in constant like vigilance mode for two and a half years, well, that's a bit exhausting. I've had enough of not being able to let my guard down Being alert always takes its toll on your body, your mind, your heart. I don't need another reason to look over my shoulder. What I need is for God to have my back. This passage, part of Jesus' final sermon, just didn't feel like it could be good news for me this week. But then I remembered something that I've said before, maybe to some of you, that every sermon is not your sermon. Not every Sunday's message is meant specifically for you. Some will simply fall, if not flat, perhaps less than inspiring or even a bit grating, but not every sermon is for you. Sometimes sermons are, in fact, intended for your neighbor three seats over or for the exhausted parent across the room or the isolated divorcee a row over or the person struggling with depression or stress at work. Not every sermon is your sermon, and that's okay. So I got to wondering, for whom was this sermon in Matthew chapter 24 written, right? This was Jesus's final sermon. 
Who was his intended audience? Another appropriate question, actually, is who was the author of this gospel's attended audience? Matthew, the one who shaped and curated this encounter with Jesus, who did he have in mind when including his sermon in this first of four gospels? Now, the gospel of Matthew um, is the first gospel that we encounter in the New Testament. And while it's named after the disciple of Jesus, Matthew the tax collector, this particular book in the Bible reflects a writer who probably took these stories of Jesus, perhaps from the disciple Matthew, and shaped them for a later audience. Most likely, due to some of the details that we find in the gospel, this was an audience or a community that had just experienced the total destruction, not just of the temple, but of Jerusalem itself by the Roman Empire in 70 CE. And not only did Matthew's community witness the fall of their sacred city, they also were being actively rejected by the Jewish community for following Jesus' teachings. They were in those growing pain stages where a new thing is rejected by an established system. It happens and it can be deeply painful. So this sermon was for a people in pain. The people listening to Jesus's final sermon, the people Matthew is offering this sermon to, were scared and marginalized and they were desperate to see Jesus. So this throws our passage into a whole new light. These people were not dreading Jesus's return for judgment. They were anxious that it not be delayed. Jesus's judgment would mean wrongs against the city of Jerusalem would be righted. Jesus's day of truth-telling would mean they would be vindicated in a community that rejected them. And if you actually read the text, those who are left behind are not the ones being punished, right? In contrast to the horribly popular pop culture book series, the people who are left behind in our passage are the ones left in the safety of their lives, their work, their day-to-day business. You wanted to be left behind, left to live your life and live it well. The people for whom this sermon was delivered would have been deeply comforted that Jesus is coming to town to hold their persecutors accountable The ears that are hearing this sermon, the intended audience, would have been the ones looking forward to being left in the field, not snatched away for judgment. The idea that Jesus was returning was a source of comfort to this weary group of folks learning how to be a community of Christ amidst a world that's falling into chaos. So in its original sense, sermon was not meant for me nor was it meant for you. (laughs) We are not watching our city being leveled brick by brick. The Romans are not destroying Atlanta, nor am I persecuting any of you in this room and causing you to leave this religious establishment of Orma Church. We're not really the center of this story, of this sermon in Matthew. And we do often find passages like this in the Bible, passages where events were happening to people so far removed from our experiences that it's hard to know how to read them faithfully, to hear them as they were intended, if that's ever truly possible. And because of that, it's difficult sometimes to find the good news. More times than I'd like to admit, we are left confused. But that confusion... That confusion is actually exactly where I finally ended up being able to relate back to this passage. In searching for that good news in Matthew chapter 24, 
I'm actually asking the same questions these people were asking. Where does Jesus show up? When is God breaking into the story or this sermon or this piece of scripture or our lives, right? How do we know when Jesus will come and make it all make sense? And so we read this passage anew and find out to some disappointment that we can never predict the return of Jesus. We cannot forecast or foresee when the Son of Man, when the incarnation, when the Emmanuel inbreaking will happen again in our lives. I hear that loud and clear alongside that grieving intended audience. It is a tough pill to swallow and it might lend itself to our collapse. But instead, both now and 2,000 years ago, this lack of knowing the exact game plan of God, even in a piece of scripture, is exactly the reason why we must keep vigilant in watching for God. Because it's confusing out there. It was for Matthew's audience, and it is now. Yet we cannot freeze up or give up in the chaos. In a very real way, this sermon is reminding us, reminding you and me, that we don't have to know everything in order to do something. We can be as ignorant as the angels and still live as faithfully alongside of them. It is possible to live a life of faith in the midst of confusion. That's what it means to stay awake. It doesn't mean you know everything. It doesn't mean there isn't some level of confusion. It means that even when you don't know everything, you still do something with your life. You stay awake and alert to God's arrival in your life, in our lives, instead of sleeping through it. If we read a bit further into the sermon today, we would come next upon a story about a servant who is entrusted by his master to take care of the estate while the master is gone. The servant doesn't seem to know where the master's going or when he will return. There is a fair bit of confusion. He doesn't have a lot of information, but what he does have are clear instructions amidst the confusion. Make sure folks are fed. Make sure folks are taken care of. The servant doesn't have to know everything to do this one thing, right? To care for the people. Now, a wicked servant, servant, the sermon tells us, would use the confusion to beat his fellow slaves and to eat and drink with the dissolute, those who would encourage him to further abuse of power. But a good servant doesn't take advantage of confusion or chaos. A good servant doesn't have to know everything in order to do something good. Now, there are definitely still some parts of this passage that leave me deeply confused or uncomfortable, right? I mean, no matter the audience, there's still the bitter taste of those snatched away to judgment. That's terrifying to think of and lacks an element of grace by which we know Jesus's work in the world. And then there's also that strange allusion to God as a thief in the night. The comparison is not flattering. And yet, I I must be content kind of with this lingering nature of not knowing everything and still being expected to live a life worthy of those clear things Jesus calls us to do, to take care of each other, to steward well the responsibilities we have, and to keep awake to any and every sign of the coming of Jesus among us, because that is exactly what we honor every Advent. That is his nature. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, and he does come again. Amen.